Please do be seated. Come on then, indulge me for um, just a moment. If there's one thing you, you really long for as a preacher is that something that you've said makes a difference in the life of the people who have heard your message. Who feels happier and has more friends as a consequence of last Sunday's sermon? Anybody? Uh, did anyone actually rush home and put their Christmas decorations up last weekend? Yeah, a couple of people did. Uh, some of us are still grumpy and some of us are still antisocial. Uh, and if you missed last Sunday's message, you've not got a clue what I'm going on about. Um, listen back. We were talking about Elizabeth, very excitable Elizabeth and uh, Zachariah. A beautiful moment after the service last weekend. Ruth, wave your hands, Ruth, came up to me. She said, I'm so like Elizabeth, Elizabeth but I'm like Elizabeth on speed. Uh, and I I just thought that was quite an image. Um, this weekend, uh, we're going to stop and reflect on the characters of Mary and Joseph as we continue our teaching series looking at the cast of Christmas, which will take us through uh, to the new year. Well, if you know anything about me, you'll know that I've got a bit of a passion for words. And this week has been one of my favorite weeks in the calendar every year because it's the week when the Webster's Dictionary published their word of the year. Now, I know it's really sad that I've got nothing else to look forward to uh, in life, but it has been a good week for me. Uh, just in case you don't know, uh, Webster's Dictionary every year try and come up with just one word. And using that one word, they try and define the year that's just been. They try and find one word to give an accurate summary of the year. And I think the word this year is brilliant. It's the word authentic. Authentic. That's the word that defines 2023. And they chose this word because they've seen a really substantial increase in people searching the word authentic or authenticity, um, probably because all of us are wrestling with artificial intelligence. All of us are wrestling with celebrity culture. All of us are wrestling with identity and the stuff that we see on social media. And we're seeking for authenticity. We're looking for truth. They said this, although clearly a desirable quality, authentic is hard to define in the world when the line between real and fake has become increasingly blurred. We live in a world, don't we, of deep fakes and people are seeking for authenticity. What's really interesting to me as well is that the word of the year before in 2022 was the word gaslighting, which is a term that means manipulating somebody else to cause them to question their own reality or their beliefs. Interesting theme that's coming out over the last two years. Well, so what, you might be thinking to yourself now. Well, I think this is a really good reminder for us. As we head into the Christmas season, as many of us long that our family and friends would come to know and love the Savior we've come to know and love, we're reminded that there's a world out there that's seeking after truth. There's a world out there that's not content with the fake and the unreal, with the lies, and they are seeking for capital T, truth. And this morning, what I want us to do is, in a sense, put an umbrella, seems very appropriate today, uh, the, the umbrella using the word authentic over the characters that we're looking at today, Mary and Joseph. Because I think that's what we see in their responses. As individuals and as a couple, we see authenticity, people living the real life with their God. Well, if you've got a Bible with you, we're going to look first at the story of uh, Matthew. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 1. No, we're not. We're going to look at Joseph. It's in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read from verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, immediately he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, if there's one thing you discover about Joseph, it's this. We don't know much about Joseph. He's probably one of the most nondescript people that there is in the whole of the Scriptures, An eight-year-old girl was once showing her young toddler sister a picture of the manger scene on the front of a Christmas card. And there was Mary and there were sheep, there were donkeys, wise men, angels, and of course, right in the center was the baby Jesus. And the toddler said to her big sister, but where is Joseph? And her big sister replied, well, he's taking the picture, of course. And in a sense, that's how it is with Joseph. He's always the one that's behind the camera. He's rarely the one who is in the limelight. Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen this in the Christmas story year by year, but even Joseph's identity with his own son is lost, which given the culture of the time is very, very uncommon. Most Jewish uh, boys were were called the son of their father. In fact, we saw it in our reading a second ago, didn't we? Um, Joseph here is described as being the son of David. For example, when Jesus refers to Peter at the time of Peter's great confession of his faith, later in Matthew's gospel, he's described as being Peter, son of Jonah. Who would you be? I would be Christopher, son of Brian. Sounds really biblical, doesn't it? But we don't discover with this, this with Jesus. He's referred to as Jesus, son of Mary. He's never referred to as Jesus, son of Joseph. He's the son of his mother, not of his father. Joseph may not have uh, bore him as a, his own child, but he did help raise him. Joseph was the one who taught him the trade of being a carpenter, as any father of that time would have done. So is Joseph the most forgotten man in the whole of Scripture? Maybe he is, but I want to suggest to us this morning that his story is incredible. His story is a story of authenticity. His story is the story of courageous faithfulness, even though he lived in relative obscurity. Now, to understand just why Joseph is so uh, incredibly faithful, we need to take a moment to understand the Jewish marriage system at the time. In Joseph and Mary's day, a man and a woman were essentially engaged when they were small children, when their future marriage was arranged and then announced by their parents. And then they would enter into the next stage, which was betrothal. Now, betrothal is this one-year period during which the, the couple ratified that arrangement and publicly made known the arrangement of their parents. They were referred to during the betrothal as being husband and wife, although they didn't yet have the full rights of being husband and wife. And then in the final stage uh, of marriage was when the couple were granted full rights as husband and wife, and then their marriage was consummated. If you don't know what consummated means, Google it and see what comes up later. In fact, don't Google it. Arrangement, betrothal, 
waiting, public marriage ceremony, and then and only then would there be consummation of the marriage. And at the point when we're picking up the story today, Mary and Joseph were very much still in that betrothal stage. And so it's really understandable, isn't it, why Joseph is so devastated by the pregnancy of Mary. Joseph, we're told in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1, was a just and a righteous man. In other words, he was a man who had high principles, he uh, had uh, great morals, and those were motivated by his love of the law, we're told in the text. Here's a man who, in the best way he can, is in relationship with God and seeking to live a good moral life. Now, I guess if the Bible isn't going to say much about you, what you do want it to describe you as, as being somebody who is just and righteous. Isn't it great that 2,000 years on, that's how we remember Joseph. He was just and he was righteous. He was faithful. Now, given his high moral standing, it's little wonder, is it, that Joseph is so devastated in this moment. In just a moment, he's been humiliated, and he's been made to look like the town's greatest hypocrite. My guess is everybody in the town knew Joseph. They knew Joseph to be righteous and to be faithful. And then all of a sudden, the woman he loves is pregnant during their betrothal period, which is an actually disaster in his time, and she can't even explain in a coherent way how it's happened. Now, Joseph is not stupid. Given the circumstances, Joseph was a man who knew that he had options under circumstances like this. He could expose Mary in a court, and that way he could have heaped all of the shame onto her shoulders, and he could have walked away with his head held high, and everybody in the town would have known about it. He had another option, which was the option that it looks like he was considering to privately hand her a bill of divorce in the company of just two witnesses. At least two people would then know uh, that he had good reason to break off the relationship, even if the rest of the town continued to gossip about it. Matthew's gospel account, verse 19, suggests that the latter was his preferred option. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, the text says. That is until an angel appeared to him in a dream. But I do want you to notice something with me in the text this morning, and it's this. is the dream and the angelic appearance happens from verse 20 onwards. Before that, up until verse 19, in verse 19, Joseph's righteousness is already being beautifully clothed in compassion. Now, I want us to get this this morning. Joseph is already living righteously before he has his encounter with the angel. Now, it's so easy, isn't it, when we know how the story ends, to miss this point. Joseph is already seeking to do the honorable thing for the woman that he loves, even before, before the angel appears to him in a dream. And I think that's really significant. Joseph doesn't become a faithful man because of the dream. He was a faithful man despite the dream. I find that really challenging. How many times in my own walk of faith have I been waiting for God to do something really big and really dramatic before I'm willing to be faithful to him in the smaller things of life? You see, I think what we discover from this story is when we're faithful in the little things, God can use us to do much greater things. When we're seeking to live right before God, even without having had a mountaintop experience or a Damascus Rose experience, an angelic appearance, whatever it might be, when we're faithful in the little things, God can use us to do even greater things. Now, Joseph, as we encounter him in the story here, didn't fully understand Mary's condition. 
He was not willing to put her to shame. Why? Because he was a faithful man. He could have bailed out, but he was strong enough to journey with her through everything that they were going to face together as a couple. Why? Because he was a righteous and a faithful man, verse 19, even before the angelic appearance of verse 20. Well, then, of course, that angelic appearance happens, and God comes to Joseph, and he says, Joseph, I want you to do something that's going to be really challenging for you. I want you to break with your social traditions. I want you to break uh, with the ordinary, and I want you to do something extraordinary. The angel in the Brockway translation says, stay with this woman and raise the child as if uh, he were your own. Essentially, that's what the angel is commanding him to do. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. Could you imagine for a second listening to that kind of a plan from God? I couldn't, but Joseph could. He was determined to obey God even when he didn't understand. He was willing to take part in the biggest mystery that's ever unfolded itself in the history of humanity. And I wonder, would I have been willing to have acted as Joseph had acted? Would I have responded positively to the words of God? How willing am I, even as I live my life today, to break with convention and tradition, to break with the things the way they are, in order to do the thing that really thrills and pleases God so he can move in my life, even if sometimes that's mysterious? I wonder if you would have been willing to put up with the inconvenience that Joseph had to put up with in this moment, even when you don't fully understand what the future looks like. How willing am I to put up with inconvenience when God breaks into my situation, especially at this time of the year? What an incredible character Joseph is. And Matthew looks at this Christmas story through the eyes of Joseph, who I want to suggest to us this morning was courageously faithful. But I want us to look at the story of Mary. And to discover the story of Mary, we need to look in, in Luke's gospel because Luke looks at the story of Christmas through the eyes of Mary. And what we discover in Mary is that she's courageously obedient. If you've got a Bible, turn to uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And now he, she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And then listen to this response. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I wonder if you've ever received a gift that you didn't really want. And you know what you did? 
you graciously accepted it and you said, oh, how lovely. I've always wanted one of these. Or maybe your response was different. You re-gifted it to somebody else so that they could say, oh, how lovely. I've always wanted one of these. Or just maybe you hid the gift in the attic with a reminder to yourself, whenever that person comes around, make sure you put it on the mantelpiece. Well, here in our story, God is giving Mary a gift that she wasn't expecting. And to be honest, she probably didn't want. And yet she accepts it with incredible courage. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Let it happen to me just as you have said. Wow, what a moment this is. Now, we need to strip away 20 centuries or more of romanticism in this moment. For Mary here in this moment, this is a life-changing, perplexing, heartbreaking decision that is thrown at this teenager Mary, and it comes at her without warning, without preparation, without any kind of a risk assessment. The unexpected, unexplainable, unwanted gift was nothing less than to bear the Son of God. This is a rather inconvenient gift. Not just because of the immediate situation, because of her marriage status, but too, as we read on, as we get to the story of Simeon and Anna later in our series, it was a gift that was going to cause no end of heartbreak to Mary for the rest of her earthly life. But when God places a call on her life that day, she didn't shrink back. Her response to the angel is, I am the Lord's servant. I'm journeying with him. I'm in relationship with him. May it be to me exactly as you have said. Despite her obvious fears about her future, despite her her coming predicament with all the shame that was going to be upon her and, and Joseph at the very beginning of their marriage, she quietly and she confidently accepts the will of God for her life. And it leaves me wrestling with so many questions. Do I have enough trust, enough faith to accept the place where God has placed me? Am I happy to to live with poverty or wealth as God determines? Am I happy for my status to be at the bottom of the pile or even the top of the pile? Am I willing to accept the will of God for my life? Am I humble enough, like Mary, to respond to God's call, to lay down my life, my hopes, and my dreams, to put up with some inconvenience even, so that God can fulfill his purpose in me and even in the world? Do you remember back to the millennium bug, year 2000, George Carey uh, said this in his millennial sermon. He said, in today's world, we ignore Jesus' words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and instead we replace them with a set of superficial values, he said. Blessed are the famous, for they will enjoy the praise of men. Blessed are those who are rich, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the mighty, for they will become more powerful yet. The former Archbishop of San Salvador said this, without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God." I can't imagine what was going through Mary's mind in this moment as she's given the news of her impending pregnancy. What would have happened if Mary had said, no, it's not going to happen in my life? Did she even have the choice to say no in this moment? Well, we're not sure, but I think she probably did because God always gives us free will. And yet here is Mary knowing in her heart of hearts that despite all of the fears of ridicule that she had and the shame, She knew it would probably be easier in the long run to say yes to God than to say no to God. She asked just one clarifying question. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And then she says, yes. 
You see, Mary knew it would be far riskier to ignore God than it would be to obey Him and depend upon His mercy and His grace in that moment. And in that song that I quoted some words from a moment ago, Mary goes on to sing about exactly that thing, and she says, His mercy extends towards those who fear Him. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. She could have said, if you're faithful and you trust God, if you live righteously like my husband Joseph did, then God's mercy will always be with you if you love him and you fear him. And you know, I think there's an incredible challenge from this story. Is the same God who called Mary is the same God who invites us to journey with him today. The same God who called Mary may well invite us to do something very significant. Now here's the really good news. God is not going to ask you to be the mother of the saviour of the world. And some of the blokes in the room are like, phew, that job's already taken. But I guess it's just possible, isn't it, that the same God who called Mary, the same God who called Joseph, might just call you and that might upset the apple cart. The same God who called them might ask you to do something that is slightly inconvenient for you in the season that's approaching. The same God that called Mary might call you to give up a resource that he's blessed you with and it might demand some sacrifice. Will you say yes? You know, it's so better to say yes to God than it is to say no to his perfect will and his plan. Verse 29 says to us, Mary was greatly troubled and yet she responds with one of the most courageous statements I've ever heard. Let it be to me according to your word or to your will. Two incredible characters, Mary and Joseph. Mary's courageous obedience, Joseph's courageous faithfulness, two lives that were being lived with authenticity. And you know, it's so easy, isn't it, to hear this story year after year and live with the impression that Mary and Joseph, uh, that their lives were significant after God had called them. At that point, all of a sudden, they become significant people But in closing, I want to suggest to us this morning that Mary and Joseph had significant lives in the eyes of God even before he called them, even before the angelic appearances, because they were living lives that were faithful, lives that were seeking to thrill their God, because they were being faithful in the little things. God was able to use them to do something amazing in the bigger things. And it seems to me that's how God works. He can do incredible things through the lowly, the humble, even the most insignificant in society, if only we're willing to allow him to do those things. And I wonder what that means for you and for me in this season. How might God call? What might he invite us to do? How might he inconvenience us, maybe, even in the season that's ahead? Will we be willing to say yes if that invitation comes. But I feel the challenge too from Mary and from Joseph that we need to be living authentic lives with the little things. And if we live our life with authenticity before God, then he can trust us with the bigger things that he might yet call us to do. Can we be still? Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, thank you that the story of scripture over and over again is you take the ordinary and you do the extraordinary. You seem to take the life of humble people 
and do incredible things through them. You're able to take the lives of the busted and the broken, the struggling and sometimes the wretched. And you're able to redeem those lives to do something beautiful in your kingdom plans and your purposes. And Lord, as we kind of officially this morning, at the beginning of Advent, journey into this season where we remember again for another time this incredible story of the God who came to be God Emmanuel. Lord, I want to pray for us as a church family, and that is what you've called us to be, a family of brothers and sisters, that, Lord, we will live with authenticity, that will run a mile from that which is fake, and that, Lord, you'll call us, that you'll enable us, you'll gift us and equip us to live lives that thrill you. In the big things, yes, but Lord, before that, even in the small things. And Lord, we confess this morning we can't do that in our own strength. And Lord, just in these moments, we open ourselves up to receive from you afresh that filling of your spirit, the renewing of our souls. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And help us to live that authentic life, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Going to invite our worship team uh, to come and join us.